Hi everyone, I'm Claire Liu and I'm the CEO of Know Your Company and today we have a super special guest with us. We have David Cancel who is the CEO of Drift, this incredible sales conversational uh, marketing platform that I believe has over 100,000 customers just has seen a ton of success and uh, yeah, David is uh, you know just a really amazing entrepreneur. Having started, I believe I was reading five companies before, was formerly the uh, chief product officer at HubSpot. So when it comes to talking about leadership, we are so excited to have you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Claire. I'm a big fan of the newsletter. Everyone here should be subscribing if they're not. Thank it's you. Amazing. Thank you. All right. Well, you heard it from David. I'd not pay him to say that. So, so do it if you were not <laughs> no. not subscribed. Um, well, so David, subscribe to uh, to uh, um, to your app as well, and I get the water cooler every day. Awesome. Yes, love yeah. it. Thanks. Thanks for the plug there too. So we have an online community for leaders called the Water Cooler. David, that's awesome that you're yeah part of it. Well, so you know the drill. You know what the question is coming up, but I'm gonna. You know, I'm going to pose it your way. So the question I've been asking all these leaders lately is, what's something you wish you would have learned earlier as a leader? <laughs> so many things. I think my the thing I think about the most, there's so many. The list is long. I should do a long blog post or, or something about this. But the biggest one I think now is that it's 99% people and uh, 1% everything else. And what I mean by that is mm -hmm. that I spent my first half of my career focused on every else which is like building the software building you know um, marketing sales this that all the stuff that we actually spend all our time reading and doing all day that mm -hmm. was like the one percent of it and the real thing is it's 99 percent people those people being inside your company and those people being your customers and it's all that and once you look at it from that lens then you, you think well those problems are pretty well known and it leads you to a whole different discovery of, in terms of reading, in terms of understanding about just like how to communicate and how to talk to people. Absolutely. Was there anything across your career, like a moment you can nail down or look back to where that shift happened? Or was it sort of a gradual process? Yeah, I think I think it was, a, you know, it was gradual in, in that it took a long time. I think, you know, what happened was, you know, you, you fail uh, or you feel the pain, I should say, you feel pain enough times that you finally like wisen up, you know, mother nature is going to teach you the hard way or the easy way. And I was choosing the hard way. Mm -hmm. And what I, what, where I would hit this is at a, a certain scaling point, you know, there's always these magical scaling points in companies that make no sense. You know, when you get, you know, beyond 10 and you 50 and a hundred and you hit, then everything starts to break. And I just kept going back to focusing in on the, the stuff that I thought was important, but all the real problems and all the things stopping the company were all of these people issues inside and outside the building. They weren't the technical things. They weren't our go-to-market. Uh, they weren't the technology. They weren't the stack. They weren't any of that stuff. It was really the people. Absolutely. So what would you say is the biggest people issue? If you had to choose, like what, what do you feel like yeah. is one of the most challenging? <laughs> I know, like take your pick, right? Yeah, I think basically it's the communication. It's like, mm. and the aspect of communication is that we don't really understand that everyone is slightly different or wildly different and that they need to be communicated to in different ways and kind of absorb information and communication in different ways. I think we all know that like on the surface, like mm. everyone would say, yeah, yeah, that's how 
obvious. That's, uh, yeah, I know that. I know that. And then when we go and turn around and try to communicate to someone, we communicate to them in the way that we want to be communicated to. Right. And so like it took me, you know, I'd say back in 2007, mm-hmm. uh, 2006, I was, I had a company called compete and we were just getting acquired. So I remember that that was in 2007. So I remember the dates, but, um, someone on the team, our VP of marketing at the time, and, uh, wanted everyone to take a Meyer Briggs test. And I was an, you know, I was the CTO, I was an engineer background. I thought it was the dumbest thing ever. Like I, I hated it. I was actually, we probably were like 150 or so people. Yeah. And I think I was number 150th to take, to, to take it because I was just like for silent protest and I took it. Yeah. And, uh, and now I, it's, you know, all I talk about is like personalities and this and that, <laughs> but like, it was like, a a discovery for me because right. not really in what it told me about myself because you yeah. most of us kind of know a lot of that but the fact that uh, everyone was so different and mm-hmm. just looking at them and just trying to understand them just logically of like oh this is why you know when i say xyz in a certain mm-hmm. way like they're not really getting it like it was just this big light bulb moment from a very simple test that anyone can take online you know simple personality yes. kind of assessment what are you, by the way, for the Myers Briggs? Just I am INTJ. Ah, oh, amazing! You know what's so, crazy? I am INTJ. Yeah, as am I. By the what? way, we are like one or two percent of oh, the really? population, right? So yes, I know. I was about to say that's super <laughs> rare. Uh, no, but I find that um, first of all, I think that's absolutely hilarious because I think there's a healthy natural skepticism around personality tests, and uh, I think you know we all like to think that we're we're special, or we all like to think that you know what everyone's kind yep. of like us. It's like usually one of the two or sometimes even a mix. Uh, so right now, I guess with your team, how do you, and as you lead Drift, uh, remind me how many employees you are at today. We are 130 some odd, 130-ish, yeah. Excellent. So, you know, 130 some people. How do you think about very, you know, perhaps a little bit more tactically with 130 people communicating in a way where you've got 130 people who are all over that Myers-Briggs <laughs> yeah, uh, test yeah. results, right? You've got INTJs, you've got <laughs> ENFPs, you've got, right? So how do you think about, um, at, in your role as a CEO, 130 people, everyone needs a different communication style. What do you do yeah, in that situation? Yeah. I think, uh, well, one thing that, I, another thing I discovered over time was that the, you know, the most scalable thing for, um, in terms of in keeping all of this working as teams were scaling here and then in previous companies mm-hmm. was actually the one-on-one, right? Mm. The one-on-one, which, you know, inherently seems like the least scalable thing possible. And is the first <laughs> thing that everyone like, you know, pushes aside because they don't have time for that. Yep. Was that actually the key to actually scaling teams and, and helping make, make them effective. So in that context, mm. the one-on-ones we use, um, different set of personality tests, but we, we talk a lot about Meyer Briggs and everyone kind of knows that and joking and, uh, you know, post their stuff and everybody wants to know what they are. And then we use uh, something called predictive index, which is another flavor uh, in this world. And we use that in the hiring profile, but as well as post hiring to kind of bring up these areas. And so people are using this all the time internally, even in their one-on-ones kind of ongoing and reminding themselves about it well, this is how we communicate to Emily and Claire likes to be communicated this way. And so I I need to tailor my approach. And so it's a, you know, it's an active thing. I kind of think about most of this stuff as like English gardening. If you want an English garden, most of the work is actually the pruning and the taking care of. It's not the planting. It's not the plant selection. It's kind of this constant pruning. And the day that you stop pruning is the day that the garden is full of weeds and overrun. 
Yes, I love that analogy. I also love that analogy um, just in the sense that it's this idea of sort of almost like micro choices and, yes. and actions that actually mm -hmm. uh, build a successful team. Because I think what a lot of people think about leadership, uh, mm -hmm. at least in how our society sort of has thought of it, is it's bold action. It's big steps. It's, uh, you know, crazy decisions and moments of crisis and that's what defines us as leaders and your sort of take and what i'm inferring here is it's actually it's the pruning it's the small day-to-day -day yes. actions it's things you don't say and do say in those one-on-one -on -one conversations uh i mean i think that's incredibly valuable for for the people listening um so i guess yeah I, no, go for it i think uh just to uh, pull on that thread there you know, I think that uh, I take it to the extreme. I think it's never the case. It's never the case that it's these big, bold actions. That's mm. the that's a, you know, a Hollywood myth, right? Yes. If you, you've talked to now, I've been doing this long enough that I've known tens of thousands of entrepreneurs and leaders like yep. that has never been the case. That is a make believe story that we tell ourselves. And then we, uh, you know, feel anxiety when when we don't, you know, leadership doesn't look like that. Right. And it's not like that. It's it's really like these. It's a game of I like that game of inches. Right. It's just like these micro little things and if you do them over time long enough then you wake up one day and it's magically this mm -hmm. great result but you know it's so weird to me that um that for whatever reason in leadership and uh especially in this time we think it's these big bold actions because it's never been the case like if you look at uh anything else in life it's never worked that way right mm -hmm. like there is no this big bang thing and then i'm an olympian athlete you know because i i discovered some magic secret right it was right. like you know starting at five years old and training you know for 10 years and then exactly. and this this overnight success absolutely it's yeah it's that athlete that stays you know 30 minutes after practice but they do yeah. that every day for 12 years right and that's that's what separates <laughs> the, you know those super athletes from the rest of us uh, so what would you say david are some of maybe the other micro actions aside from communication and one-on-ones uh, but other small yep. <laughs> nuances that you feel like most leaders don't take the time to make time for or they overlook what are some things we should be considering yeah, I think, you know, uh, it's uh, to me, it all comes back to the people stuff. So it's that, those one on ones. It's the uh, spending time in the hiring practice. Like we're 130 mm. right now. Yeah. And uh, we are going to be around 200 uh, at about 100 people uh, this year by the end of this year to the team. So it'll be about 220, 230. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm still involved in every one of those inter interviews. Right? Really? Like, and everyone says, yeah, everyone says, uh, you know, I'm I'm at the end of the chain. So yeah. like it's been very well filtered by then. So I'm not taking the bulk of that. But sure. still, it's 100 people that I'm yep. going to talk to. And um, and I, I find a way to make time even if it's a 10 minute call mm -hmm. right with those people because it's a super important uh part of the process and i think that's one of the first things that we're you know oh we're like 50 people now i shouldn't be in the interview process like no you should be in the interview process for as long as possible and uh and i'm going to try to push that as far as possible and i think that's important my co-founder is the same he's involved mm -hmm involved in the process. If I'm not there, he's there. Uh, or someone else on the team uh, jumps in as well. But like, it's a super important thing. I would not give that up for anything because that's most, a lot of it is that. And then a lot of it is the one-on-one -on -one. and then the mm. other stuff uh, takes care of itself. Definitely. No, I think that's, um, I think some, you know, CEOs that are probably running uh, smaller companies are thinking, oh, 
shoot, oh my gosh, maybe I need to be, <laughs> maybe I got involved, yeah. but you know, I got to involve myself um, in that. Uh, no, David, what else would you say then? I mean, you said you had a big list of stuff. So other than the people or the communication issues, like anything else that, and here's the thing, I know you've, you know, you sat on numerous boards, you've mentored so many entrepreneurs over the years. I mean, parting words or advice for any aspiring leader or current leader who feels like they're just struggling right now. Yeah, I'd say um, we've all been there. So, uh, you know, one thing I would say is like it, it basically I, I think about this triangle and I think like there's three things that matter in your it, when it comes to your business. Like one is the market that you're in. Two is people. Mm -hmm. Three is your product or solution or your service or what have you. And I kind of, you know, I'm most comfortable when I come from the product side of things. That's where I come from. So I kind of organize them first as like market and then as no the big gap and then then it's like team people and then there's like product you know is third and and I always think about it in that order now but for the first half of my career I thought about it like most entrepreneurs do which is the other way around which is like it's all about the product it's all around the service right like no one ever thinks about the market right like yeah. the market will like will will that to happen yeah exactly like, somehow <laughs> and then they kind of think about the people a little bit but it's like all and it's kind of the opposite it's like choose you know it's like big markets that are changing that allow you to re-look at them or allow you to create a niche within them. Uh, think a lot about that. Think a lot about the team, right? Those are the two big levers. And then the product, like, I mean, we've all seen many examples, not to say that we should aim for a mediocre product, but like great markets with great teams, like there can be mediocre products or not as good a product as you can create that can own that market because those two things are true. Mm -hmm. And uh, for us, kind of engineer or geeks or what have you like we like to think about, about all the product yes really the people in that market that you're in so that's Absolutely. my advice really take a look at those two things I love that I think uh, what that speaks to is I think our desire as entrepreneurs as leaders to control so the product yes. we Damn can it. control it mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. we we can build it we can write about it. We yeah. can design it. It's 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 within our control. People, oh my God, no. There's no way we have control in terms of people. Market, forget yeah. about it. That is out of our forget control, so we don't spend the time. And I think it is. I think it's, it. Yeah, as humans, it's, that's our that's our natural tendency is we love to create any sort of semblance of control. It's why we like to plan. I'm a big planner. And I've noticed this even in myself as a leader. Yeah. It's like, Claire, you're trying to create this plan because you're trying to control for something honestly that you cannot control for control. right it's you know it's great yeah. to come up with those contingency points so I think I you know I love I love that um, that share of, of focus and, and realizing that just because you can't control it doesn't mean you shouldn't be spending the time and energy to, to think about it yep. so thanks for that David one other thing that actually just came to mind I was reading something on the drift blog post recently, you had written a little bit about uh, Peter Drucker, who, you know, is a seminal author on oh, yeah. management. Love, Love oh. Peter Drucker. Apps, who doesn't, right? Yes. And one of the things that you talked about that he talks about that I absolutely loved was this idea of no consensus in leadership. Mm. I thought it was really counterintuitive. Yes. So yeah, I, I would love to actually talk a little bit about that with some of our um, viewers here. Tell us a little bit about what no consensus is and what you mean by that and why you were so passionate about this idea. And leadership. Uh, um, so, you know, I, uh, one, I love Peter Drucker and we read a lot of Peter Drucker here and, uh, you know, I'm about going back to the, the greats and, uh, you can skip most business books today and go to Peter Drucker cause they're all derivative of him yep. and, uh, that you read out there today. And 
so that's where I would start. But for us, like no consensus, like that idea really, you know, started with me with um, kind of probably a decade ago, or a little probably more, maybe 15 years ago, Seth Godin, mm -hmm. who's another great writer, yep. more on the marketing side, really wrote about like picking an edge. And yes. what he would say is like, you got to pick an extreme, right? Like you got to pick an edge, you can't be in the middle. And then what I learned on my own, after having that kind of in my mind was that in creating a company, like the worst thing that you wanted was indifference, right? That's what entrepreneurs uh, battle in terms of creating a product Yes, is indifference, right? Like you, it's okay to have people uh, love your product. That's awesome. It's also okay for people to hate your product, right? Because you can take someone who hates your pro product, who has an emotional connection to it and move them closer to, you can move them to be fans. You mm -hmm. can almost never move someone who's indifferent about something yep. to be a fan. So anyway, I had been thinking about <laughs> yes. that for a long time. Um, and then uh, I really, one of our values here, we have eight, is no consensus, right? And um, mm. consensus is the norm, right? We all regress to this idea of consensus within the company of like, let's all vote for something. Let, let, let's, let's hold hands. Let's not be offensive. Let's not, right. er, let's not pick an edge, right? Yes. And I was all about picking an edge because that's where I think the great things are created. And consensus, by definition, is like averaging down to the least offensive, yes. the least controversial thing which is just going to lead you into the center of indifference right you're mm -hmm. just going to create something that nobody cares about even the people that are creating it right mm -hmm. and so for us it's about picking an edge going out there getting a reaction from that even if it's sometimes not the reaction that you wanted like people don't love it but at least you can work from that because you've, you've actually hit on something that they are connected to absolutely no so i find this concept so fascinating because i think a lot of you know entrepreneurs would agree and and for folks who you know are starting successful businesses they reflect on their own product and they go oh we are doing well because we've picked an edge right i think the yep. tension in this concept of no consensus happens when we think internally with our teams about collaborating and moving forward. <laughs> so in so yes. many teams and CEOs that you know we've worked with i there's always this oh, fascinating dynamic and conflict between how do you pick that edge, but at the same time, get people on your team not to, to kill each other and you know be bitter about <laughs> the fact that it's not their idea, it's not maybe their edge. So what, I mean, yeah. how, how have you... You know how I do that? Yeah, how do you negotiate that? And how, I mean, for folks who are like, but David, like, you can't collaborate. You actually can't move, make, yeah. like, yeah. how do you yeah. make decisions if... If you're always picking the edge, are people going to get pissed off and leave? So yeah, your thought. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So I stumbled, I stumbled on the answer uh, back at Performable, which was like two companies ago, mm -hmm. uh, by accident. And the answer that we've been we've been using since then is this idea of uh, is to create this kind of customer centric approach to building anything, right? And mm. so it, we've taken it so far at Drift that everyone, and this is kind of daily mantra here, is that. We tell everyone, including ourselves, that your idea and my idea is wrong, 100%. The only thing we know for sure is that whatever idea we have is wrong. Hmm. What we need to figure out now is we need to get out in front of our and work with our customers to figure out how wrong. It might be 5% off, right? It always is, right? It's never like you just create something in divine inspiration and then that's the thing and it never changes, right? There's always going to be a tweak to it. Or it could be 100% off. Right. It's usually somewhere in between those two extremes. So, like, why not get out there, work with our customers from the very beginning to figure out 
how off we are. And what we're trying to do by doing that is to break down our kind of collective egos, our personal mm-hmm. and collective egos, and get out there and get get over this part of like, well, we can't collaborate, we can't do this stuff because we all are defaulted to say, back to what Peter Drucker would say, like the only goal of business is to serve a customer, right? And we're only here to serve, right? Right. So like, it doesn't matter what Claire's idea is or my idea or this person's idea. What matters is what does the customer need? How do we best serve them? And the the only one who can tell us that is that customer, not us. We're never the customer. I, I, I love that approach in the, like you were saying, taking the ego, the personal and the collective ego out of it. Mm-hmm. It's, I think that is, it's, it's so hard. And I think it's a huge reason for why a lot of decisions or a lot of progress isn't made. I think um, this, you know, helping to depersonalize any sort of potential source of conflict is huge. Uh, and then something interesting that I'd love to get your thoughts on is, uh, you know, one approach as well when you think about consensus and collaboration or how do you build consensus and when there's you know sort of conflict uh, is this idea that yes we're all trying to serve the customer but also we can agree to move forward but not even have to agree on the same things right so I might move forward because I feel like oh I want to give this idea a shot and another person might move forward because no this is actually going to be the thing that really you know helps us win as a company whatever <laughs> it is we can move forward for different reasons yeah. and everyone actually doesn't even have to move forward for the same reason as long as we can move forward yeah. so just accepting that there's some plurality in that decision making process when 100%. when you're you know when you're trying to, to find that edge because I, I, I could not agree more with you and I think it's um it is such a hard and sort of messy thing in practice. It really is, at least from what I've observed. Yeah. This is this is why it's all about back back to the beginning. It's ninety nine percent people because it, it's yep. this. It's like you know the the ego stuff is a daily battle in terms of pruning. That's mostly pruning all day, and yeah. including myself, right? Yes. Include everyone in the company, right? No one's immune from this. And I'd say you know last year at the end of last year, beginning of this year, I sent out a letter to the team that I wrote up, you know, like a shareholder style letter. And, uh, and I look back at all the great stuff. And it was an amazing year. Uh, but I look at back and say, Okay, let's talk about the top five mistakes that I think we made as a team. Mm-hmm. And I traced back and I said, I think every single one of these mistakes, and I highlighted how were due to ego. Every single time we made a mistake, it was due to our collective ego, right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so what I'm trying to point out there is like, we made these mistakes. We don't need to make these mistakes. And we didn't need to make any of the mistakes we did if we didn't let our egos get in the way. Yes. So like, how do we get better so that we don't let our ego get in the way in 2018? Absolutely. Well, I think uh, on that note, that is like a beautiful reflection that I'm going to be taking away from this interview. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, and I think for, you know, for everyone watching, there's so much wisdom that, that you shared, David. Thank you so much for your time. This has been a blast. Thank you so much for having me, Claire. I'm a big fan. Everyone sign up for the water cooler.